0: We are in this amazing series called Idol Smashers. Have you guys enjoyed this uh, series so far? Yeah, it has been, um, it's been great. Uh, I, have, um, I have enjoyed it. I have been challenged. Um, I, have, uh, been <laughs> I have been perplexed. I have been encouraged, all of those things. Um, and so I want to just catch us up really quick. So uh, this is week three on the first first week, uh, it was set up with, uh, of course, uh, Pastor Duke. Uh, He set this up. He kicked off the series by defining what idols truly are in our lives. Uh, He used this really great Tim Keller quote. He says, an idol is anything that is more important to us than God, anything that absorbs your heart or your imagination more than God asking or anything that we seek to give us only what God can. Uh, He exposed our predisposition to create idols in our hearts so that we could actively and persistently draw near to the father and forsake all of our sinful desires. He equipped us and he encouraged us to confront and destroy the idol of self. And then last week, excuse me, Pastor Corey, he followed that up. uh, He caused me to have nightmares, imagining this giant snake that was stretched out next to me in my bed, uh, building up its appetite to devour me. um, He helped us to see what a fallen people experience in their daily lives and the dethroning uh, of God in their hearts and souls and the coronation of selfish desire and lustful ambition. He invited us to one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us, That is confession and repentance through the example of the psalmist who penned Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Appreciate that Pastor uh, Corey, he led us to the ultimate destroyer of every snake that has ever tried to cuddle up next to you or me and size us up. With the power of the Holy Spirit, we're better equipped to smash the idol of pleasures, appetites, and passions. And so tonight, uh, we're going to talk about another idol. I'm going to be talking about the idol of status, reputation, and pride. It's an easy one, right? Uh, By the end of this night, I hope that we are equipped to smash this idol and identify um, who we truly are in God and how we have a new identity through the blood of Jesus. And I want to set... Kind of, before I jump into our scripture, I want to make sure that we orient ourselves to what it really means when we talk about these idols. Um, And I'm going to go and grab a Tim Keller um, quote as well. I think it's going to be up on the screen. I figure I'm learning. They're teaching me. You got to have these quotes. If If you don't got no quote, you ain't preaching. All right? So here we go. Tim Keller says this. Idolatry means turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. We say, unless I have that, I have nothing. This is what we're going to be talking about. And the individual that we're going to be diving into is uh, by the name of Naaman. So we get to see a little bit of his story and see how this brother, this great brother, had an issue with with the idol specifically this idol of status. So the scripture that we're going to be reading will be coming from uh, 2 Kings 5. We're going to read verse 1, and then I'll skip down and read 9 through 12 uh, for the sake of time. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read the word of God, and then we'll jump right into this thing. I'll give you a moment to turn, but it'll also be on the screen here behind you. So, verse 1 says, Now Naaman was commander of the army, the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master. He was highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a, val- a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. We'll jump down to 9. It says, So Naaman went uh, with his horses and his chariot and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Uh, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that, you would, that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand uh, over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abna and uh, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in anger or in rage, as this one, this uh, NIV says. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you have already done tonight, how you've already moved, how you have softened our hearts to hear you better. God, I pray that as we dive into this word, we don't just hear what I have to say, but we hear you. So God, I present myself as a vessel. Let your word flow through me. Let your sons and daughters hear what you have to say and allow their lives to be changed by only the way you can. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. You can be seated. I've entitled this message, Humbled Hero. It's a humbled hero. So as we look at the story of Naaman, I kind of broken it down into a few different points so we can understand who this man is. First see that Naaman is a great man. He's a great soldier. He has done his job well. He has a reputation. People understand who he is. I've made this first point is that he is feared and flawed. The Bible talks about him. They speak of him as a commander of one who won many battles, a one who is great, who is seen well in the sight of his masters. He's highly regarded because of his walk. He's walked the walk. He's not one who just talks about it, but he is about it. He's feared. We get to see later on in the story, we see that he's actually feared Because they know what he does. His reputation has preceded him. And so if we leave it right there, this is a great man. He committed himself to excellence in his craft. But there's an issue. There's a flaw. The flaw is we find out he has leprosy. And what is interesting about this particular disease that he has, leprosy, is that it's terminal. If I had more time, I would dive into the reality of this sickness. Leprosy, fortunately, we don't really hear about that now in our modern world, but at this time, to have leprosy was a death sentence, it was terrible. And it was one of those things that had no respect of person. It didn't matter how well you were, how good you lived your life, or how far you have accomplished up the ladder, it would get you. And once it got you, there was really no way of getting rid of it. What I think is interesting about leprosy, too, is it is the way that it affects the body. It is not something that happens immediately. As a matter of fact, generally, the way it starts is just a small speck. Oftentimes, no one around even knows that you are sick. When you first get it, it's easy to hide. So oftentimes, as we see with Naaman, he was highly functional. He was able to do his job well. He was able to maintain a reputation Yet there was something that he was hiding. There was a flaw that was slowly eating at him. And what's so terrible about this disease is that it would just continue. It would persist. It would persist until eventually it would get so bad to when it was exposed that individuals who had it would be sent away. They would be sent away because they were considered unclean. You weren't able to touch them. You weren't able to interact with them. So these individuals were left to fend for themselves on the outskirts of the city. And if you were lucky enough, you would have a family member that would bring you food so that you could survive but oftentimes you were left and forgotten and so you would be out here trying to figure out how to survive and the sad part about this disease that would eventually kill you is it wasn't the actual disease that killed you most people who died of leprosy they actually died because they starved to death what would happen is it would affect the extremities. But then it would eventually begin to affect the gums. People would lose their teeth. And now they would have the inability to take in enough nutrients to survive. So essentially they would starve to death. So you have this great man who has accomplished all these great things, who had this amazing reputation, who is feared. Yet he has this flaw, this flaw that slowly but surely is going to lead to his demise. When I think about that reality, I think about the fact that there are many people in our modern society that are suffering from this very same situation. Folks that we see is so great, they have climbed the ladder of success, they have made it to be CEOs, or they've made it to have a check mark on their Instagram, or they have a following and they're able to do all these great things, yet, there is this underlying thing that none of us often get to see, but it's eaten at them. It's the silent killer that is gnawing at them. Now, what I love about how this story begins to progress is that if I left it there, it'd be a terrible story. Like, well, what are you doing? That's, this is not refreshing me. This is midweek. But I'm not here to do that. So he goes on. It brings me to my second point, which now you have a man who is desperate and determined. Clearly, he's shown that this is who he is as a person. He doesn't just take whatever comes to him lying down. He's a man who's willing to fight. And so what happens, what I love about this story is that. There is this young girl, this young girl, this young girl from Israel. She is captured, and she now becomes a servant in his house, and she sees that the master is sick. And so she speaks to the mistress and says, hey, I see that my master is sick, but if he can get to the prophet, there's a prophet in Israel, he could be made new. He could be healed. Now, what is interesting about that is that on the surface, it sounds like that makes sense. Okay, somebody told me there's a cure, but the person that it came from is a person that no one would ever listen to. Not only is she a woman, but she is a girl and she is a servant. So in this modern, this this, in the society in which they live, unlike our modern society, she didn't have a voice. What she had to say did not matter, and that was quite a risk for her to even open her mouth. So that should have been dismissed. Yet, because of his desperation, he turned his ear and listened. He was willing to do what it needs to be done to get his healing. That's when you know that desperation has a way in making you do things that you would never do. See, oftentimes we see one side of desperation is that one that leads us into doing something that we should not do here we see that there's a desperation, there is a hunger that God can use to move us into a place that he can get what is, he needs to get out of us. See, often we will think that if I feel desperate, then there's something wrong, and so I need to fulfill that, I need to, or I need to get out of that situation, but maybe God is making us feel this level of desperation so that we turn to the one who can feel the thing that we need. And maybe he is trying to ignite a determination that I will go after my healing. Reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood. She was desperate. So desperate times cause for some drastic and desperate measures. So we see Naaman, this great man, he's now yielding to the voice of a little girl. Because he's desperate. And... He 's determined he shows his determination because when I look here um, in I look here in, in verse three, or excuse me to verse four, he says, "Now naaman went to his master and he told uh, he told what the girl from Israel had said. He said, "By all means, go, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to, uh, to the king of Israel and then it says that naaman Um, talking, uh, with he, excuse me, taking with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels and gold and 10 sets of clothing. Then he took the king, uh, uh, then, uh, excuse me, he took 10 sets of clothing. So I'm gonna stop there and say, not only did he have this determination because he heard from this young girl, but he put that determination to work. He went to the king, he called in a favor, Says, I need you to write a letter for me and to send it out. And he put his money where his mouth was. He gathered his money. He gathered his clothing because at all costs, he was going to go and get his, the healing that he needed. This is what desperation will do to you. It will make you realize that all the things, the wealth that you have means nothing when you're facing sickness. See, it doesn't matter how much money you have, the equalizer is health. I've heard them say that health is wealth. So it doesn't matter how much money you have when sickness hits your body, desperation will begin to kick in and then you will realize I'm willing to give up all of this if it means I could be made whole. So this is what we get to see him do. And so now he gets this favor from the king, king sends out a letter, he's gathered up all of his things. And he goes and travels. Now, a man of his stature would normally not have to travel. A man of his stature could just call and people would have to show up. Remember, he was feared. And he had a level, he had a status in which people moved when he said move. Or else, he laid down the hammer. But yet, in this situation, he was humbled and going, where, you, where I got to go? Tell me where I have to go. I have to go into a foreign land to go find this man who's going to make me healed. So we see this very high level of desperation. So the story goes on that he goes all the way to Elisha's house. He's pulled up his entourage, all of his friends, all of his cattle, all of this money, and he's standing at Elisha's store waiting for Elisha to come out and do his thing. Yet this is what happens. In verse 10, it says, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. This is not what he was expecting. This is bring me to my point three. Is that he was insulted and he was irate. And I think the reason why he was like this for three main reasons. I didn't put these points, I didn't send these points, but I'll speak to them. I think the first reason why he was upset was because of the messenger. I've traveled all this way, I've built a reputation. How dare you send out a nobody? You understand, we didn't even give a name to the messenger, we just said a messenger. I'm naming. You don't just send me a messenger. When I pull up, you're supposed to come out. It's just what he understood. He had nothing to do. Not that he wasn't going to get his healing. It was, yeah, I'm going to get my healing, but it better come the way that I have thought of it in my mind. See, I, I don't want the blessing if it's not the way that I have designed it. And I don't want the blessing if it's not coming from the person I expect it to come from. I don't want a member of the prayer team to pray for me. I want the pastor, the head pastor to pray for me. <laughs> this is why he was insulted. Because he believed that I've worked hard enough that I deserve to be treated a certain way. And so he was upset because of the, mas- the messenger. I have enough time. I'm going to tell you this quick story. So during, um, there was one year... That we had the, um, this moment, we had a prophetic gathering here uh, at the church. And normally, when we have prophetic gatherings, I will intentionally uh, come up here, I'll sing, and I'll get out of the way because I don't need no prophet reading my mail. I don't need them in my mind. Understand? Uh-uh, I go away. But this particular year, I needed something from the Lord. <laughs> I was like, God, I need, I'm making some big decisions, and I need to hear from you. So this year, I made sure after we finished singing, I came and sat right in the front. And I, I listen, the cardinal rule is if there's, if there's a prophetic moment, do not make eye contact with the prophet, or they're going to get you. Me, I was intentionally looking. I was like, some of y'all, hey, hey. The whole weekend, I thought somebody's going to say something. Nothing. Nobody said anything to me. So on that last day, I was driving home. And if I be honest with you, I was upset. I was irate. God, I, I came here. I was here all weekend expecting a word from you. And you gave me nothing. How could you, how could you do this to me? How am I supposed to move without a word? So now I'm upset. I even called my wife. She was like, "You get a word?" I'm like, "Nah, they didn't give me no word." <laughs> What's the point of me being here if they going not give me no word? I could have stayed at home. I was frustrated, and I wish I was joking, but I was really—I was hot. So on the way home, I get a phone call. This guy calls me. It's a guy from my church back at home, um, uh, and. I don't, you know, he, he's a great guy. It's not like we're friends. He's older than me, you know. And so we would talk like maybe once or twice a year. And it was one of those phone calls that you kind of answer kind of a little bit reluctant. You know, like, oh, hey, praise the Lord. Good to see you, man. Yeah. And then you know, you know how we as guys we do, we'd be like, oh man, that's crazy. Oh, what? Wow. That's cold word for. I'm trying to move on. So I hit him with a, f- a few, man, that's crazy. What? Wow, man. Well, hey, man, listen, God, you know, hey, he's good. Well, hey, man, it was great talking to you because I was upset. I wanted to go home and sulk. I wanted to go home and be more angry that God didn't do what I needed him to do in my life. But here's this guy who's not a prophet. This a guy from the church. He says, hey, man, do you mind if I pray for you? I said, sure, man, go ahead. Is there anything you need prayer for? Man, whatever, you know, just just life, you know, how life can be. (laughs) And then he begins to pray. And he said, man, I, I hear the Lord saying something about business. Are you and your wife thinking about starting a business? I said, wait, what? Excuse me? He said, I feel the Lord saying something about business. He was like, I feel like I have a word for you. And then he gave me a prophetic word. And it was probably one of the most accurate prophetic words I ever got. And I thought, God, you saw me. You heard me. And it didn't come from where I thought it would come from, but you still spoke. I realized, I realized it was. An, an Orthodox message from an undeniable source. I knew it was God. And I'm happy to say that this year we celebrated four years of that business being open, and it continues to grow, and God is still doing amazing things. But at the time I could not see it, at the time I was as frustrated. Just like Naaman. And the second reason why I think he was upset was because it was the method in which he was going to be healed. He says, I expected you to come out and wave your hand and I was going to be healed. That was instantaneous. Instead, what he, a messenger came and said, hey, you got to go walk down to the Jordan. You got to bathe in it seven times. Oftentimes, we'll be frustrated by the way God answers Our prayer, because it takes time. God, I don't expect for you to give me something in a slow cooker. I need a microwave. I need healing. I need it now. I don't want to wait. So God, I need a, I need fruit, and God, give me a seed and tell me to plant it. What, what am I supposed to do with this? You know how long it's going to take? How much work? And so, what he's in this moment saying. Oh, I'm going to give you what you need, but it's not going to come the way you want it. And because of that, he was upset. And then I think the last reason why he was upset was the means in which he was going to be made clean. Told him to bathe in the Jordan. Now, what's interesting about this Jordan, this Jordan was a dirty river. It was not... This was not the Caribbean. This was not beautiful. This was not the beautiful waters of Crab Island. My boy Darian told me about that in, in uh, Pensacola, Florida. It's, it's quite nice. No, this water was dirty. He says, how dare, why, why would you make me clean in this dirty water? I could have gone to some rivers in Damascus that was much better. But yet you have me here. I think it had nothing to do with the water. The water is not what made him healed. It was the obedience. And it's easy to be obedient when the thing that God asks you to do is something that you want to do in the first place. When it's the thing that you want already, you're like, oh, God, yes, sir. God, I'll do that. You want me to do? It? Oh, yeah. But what happens when it's not the thing that you want? You go, uh-uh, the devil is a liar. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus <laughs> because that's not the way I have designed it. That is not the way I saw it. And so it can't be God. We have to be careful because Naaman was generated to miss out on the blessing, on the healing that he so desperately needed. It's so incredible to understand this, this juxtaposition. You have this man that is so desperate who needs healing, yet this idol of his status was so great that he allowed that to be even greater than his desperation to be healed and so that he was going to put himself in a situation in which he was going to miss out on his true healing. I believe what was happening in this moment was God wanted to do a lot more than cleanse him from this leprosy. God wasn't only trying to heal his body... But he was truly after his heart to the world and even the church as often we are often satisfied with the outward visible miracles. Yet what God wants to do with us is from the inside and it's rarely seen. Have this quote. I didn't send it in, but I want to read it because I really think this helps us understand. This is from uh, Paul David Tripp. He has a parenting book um, called the uh, 14 gospel principles. He says, think. And how God works in your life. He is not content with just forgiving you for your sins. Having forgiven you, he is zealously committed to transforming you. He doesn't just target those intentional rebellious moments. He works on the character of your heart as well so that you are progressively become what he has designed you to be. Because he is committed to the character change Your Lord goes after the idols of your heart, and he will not rest until every thought, desire, choice, word, and action is fully rooted in worship of him. What he was trying to do in this man, Naaman, was far more than just healing him of this disease. Because what good is it for you to be well on the outside with your soul to be torn up? It's a healthy folks that are walking around, but inside hearts are so mangled and torn up. God is just not trying to make you look good. He wants you just to be a pretty vessel that has nothing on the inside. No, what he wants to do is transform you and make you new. So he'll send you sometimes to get in some dirty water. And what I really love about this moment, about him getting in this dirty water, is that many, many, many years later, there'd be another man who would step into the Jordan. If you look in Mark one, in Mark one, it says this, um, that uh, nine through eleven. At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus uh, was coming, uh, coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus stepped into that same water except for he didn't have an illness. He didn't have an ailment. He was perfect, but he did it, that so you and I would not have to step into that, Jordan. He did it on our behalf. And what is awesome about this moment is we see one of the greatest moments of validation that could ever happen. A voice from heaven calls out, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. And to this point, Jesus had not performed any miracles He hasn't raised anybody up from the dead. He hasn't hasn't made the lame walk. He hasn't restored sight. But yet he's done what God is after. He speaks the love language of our heavenly father. Obedience. This one who should have been high and lifted up. I mean, he was the one, the ultimate. that who gets greater than that? Yet he humbled himself under obedience for each and every one of us. He showed us the picture of what it looks like to humble ourselves, to really understand what does it mean. And then even after that moment of him being validated by the Father, it wasn't then he then launched into, now I'm getting ready to start my ministry, I'm getting ready to do all these things. Yet what he did... As he got even lower, he humbled himself even more. He said the spirit of God led him into the wilderness where there was nothing. So he removed every impediment between him and the father. He spent this time with God, having a moment to connect with him. This is the perfect example, or as it looked like, to destroy this idol of status is to become humble and to get closer to the father. This is what he does. I say you this as I get ready to, to close. I really can't give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure. It's this. Relying on your own strength and your reputation or your accomplishments to establish your identity and validation. If that's how you do it, it's going to end in failure. We can do nothing to contribute to Christ's free gift of salvation. Furthermore, if we base our self worth on our approval from others, then we actually are saying that our ability to please others is greater than the value of Christ's payment. So when we look at this, we see how did how did Jesus prescribe to us a way to beat this idol of status? I've broken it down into five things. One, recognize and expose the idol of status and reputation and pride that's in us. We have to see it first. Second, we need to go to the place where we can find true healing. So what Naaman had to do. He had to get up and he had to move. He wasn't going to receive healing where he was. God had called him to go to a different place. And then he had to have some discipleship. There had to be a relationship with people around him to help him see his blind spots. See, because what was happening with, with Naaman, he was frustrated and he was walking away. But that's not how the story ends. One of his servants spoke to him and said, listen, if he would have asked you to do a great thing, wouldn't you have done it? So why, why not go do this? Somebody had to see his blind spot because in his anger, he was getting ready to go home and miss out on his healing. But somebody had to say, listen, don't do it. Don't miss this opportunity. This is why it's good to be walking with someone who can see those moments in you and say, wait a minute, I know you're upset. I know you're frustrated. I know you feel disrespected. But if you just listen to God, if you just be willing to be obedient to him, there's there's healing on the other side of that. So we see this picture of what it looks like to have someone stand with you. And then we be obedient to the voice of God, regardless of how unorthodox it may seem, as silly as it may seem, as beneath what we think we deserve may seem. We have to be obedient. This is this is the love language. Of our God. This is what Jesus has proven to us. When he comes to this earth. Perfect. Sinless. Yet he was obedient even unto death. And then what I love about. How I know. This moment was so perfect for Naaman. Is that. In the beginning of the story, he refers to God as Elisha's God. But at the end of the story, he says, my God. See, the true transformation that happened in his life wasn't that he was cured from leprosy. It was that it went from that is your God to this is my God. When I make him my God, then that means I have everything I need. So even if I were to keep leprosy. Even if I were to still, still be in the situation that I don't like, because I have God, I have everything that I need. And so then I can stand as one saying that I'm truly transformed. And everything else is just added goodness of our God. So this is what it really looks like to smash the idol of status. And this is what our lives must look like. You know, family, I, I wanted to come up here and, and, and preach to paint off the walls. I wanted to, to invoke the teaching that I grew up being in my church where we were screaming and hollering and we was having a good time. And there was a lot of clapping and a lot of call and response. But That's not what God has called me to do tonight. He's called me to speak the truth. Because what I'm not after, as I'm not after the applause, I'm not after the pats on the back, I'm not after the validation from man, because one minute they'll love you, and the next minute you'll do something and they will justifiably hate it. But when we're obedient to the Father, he's able to do far more than I can ever imagine so that's what we celebrate tonight, that our God is doing amazing things in us. So I want to pray. Maybe you are one of those folks that you're thinking, even as I was talking, you thought about what river has God called you to dive into? And you've said, not that, not that dirty river. God, I could do your will over here much better. This water is so much cleaner. What person has been speaking into your life and you thought, I don't want to hear from you. There's got to be somebody better that's going to speak to me. What is the the way in which God wants to heal you that it's a process and you're going, no, God, I need instantaneous. Whatever those things is, can I encourage you tonight that you let those things go you pray from a place of saying God I trust that you are the good father and that you are going to be the one who changes my life if that's you I want you to just bow your head and pray with me God I thank you for your, your word for your truth thank you that even as we see Naaman he went through all of these situations in which as a normal human I would have said enough is enough naming." you know what you can just keep your sickness yet you persisted after him And you have told us surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. So, God, I thank you that you still chase after us. But tonight, God, I want to make it a little bit easier. You don't have to chase me anymore. I'm going to stand still and receive what you have for me. And though I don't like the way it looks or I don't understand how it goes, I will trust in you with all of my heart. And I'm not going to lean to my own understandings, but in all of my ways, I want to acknowledge you and allow you to be the one who direct my path. God, I give my life afresh to you, my desires to you, and I don't look for my validation in what I can accomplish, but I find my identity in the reality that you've sent your son to die on my behalf you rose again and now you declare me made new I stand in that reality and I believe that you're going to do greater works in my life it's in Jesus name we pray if you believe that we say amen